This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in, uh, in Genesis chapter 6 and 7 this morning. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles there. Continuing our study in the book of Genesis. Our lesson title this morning is One Man's Faith, One Man's Family. Does everybody have the handout? Anybody need the handout? Okay. They're on the back seat back there. Um, the, the leftovers are on the back seat. Very good. I really appreciate Brother Sarah helping in this class. And by the way, he's going to be teaching the class for the next two weeks Jan and I are going to be on vacation next week, and we don't get back until the Saturday after the next Saturday after that. So I asked uh, Brother Sarah if he would teach both next Sunday and and the following Sunday, and he's agreed to do that. He's an excellent teacher, isn't he? And I appreciate his help so much. So we're in the book of Genesis, <clears throat> uh, chapter six. And we begin actually in chapter 6 at verse 9 today. But I want to read the 8th verse of the the 6th chapter as it leads into verse 9. It says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And that kind of sets the tone for our lesson today, the fact that Noah walked with God. We we saw another man last week that walked with God. Who was that? Enoch. He walked with God and he was not God, for God took him, it says, prematurely. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks today for the privilege that we have to come together to once again look into your precious word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher today. I pray, God, that we'll learn some things that will help us to walk with you as Noah did and as Enoch did. And, Father, we are anticipating uh, doing exactly what Enoch did, walking with God, and we were not, for God took him. And, uh, God, we're looking for the rapture, the upper taker rather than the undertaker. But I pray, God, today that you will draw our attention to this man, Noah, and his family. And uh, the fact that he walked with God and was such a great testimony. And there's so many things that we can learn today, God, by looking at the life of a man that walked with you. So guide our thoughts, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Except for the increase of violence and crime in Noah's day, everything was fairly normal we would think. Uh, People were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and that's normally what people do, isn't it? Life was going on as it usually was, but uh, there were probably some other things going on as well. Uh, When friends met together in the marketplace, they probably made some comments about Noah. You know, he was building something. He was building a boat right out there in the middle of nowhere 
and uh, there wasn't any water within miles of that boat. And so they probably, uh, they probably laughed at Noah and his family saying, imagine building a boat here on dry land. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? And, and they probably talked a little about Methuselah too. You know, he was the world's oldest living person. And um, they probably said, well, he'll die one of these days. Mark my word at that. And then they were probably scratching their heads, too, over Enoch. Uh, I've referenced him already because uh, he walked with God and he disappeared. And they probably thought, boy, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard of. And I suppose that when the rapture takes place, I hope it takes place while we're still alive, Wayne. Yeah. Uh, when the rapture takes place, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people scratching their heads. I wonder, wonder where those kooks are. Those people down there at Good News Baptist Church, those, those idiots, you know, those people that go to Sunday school and go to church and on Wednesday night and, <clears throat> and uh, they talk decent and act, act de- where, are, where are those idiots anyway, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'm sure that, uh, that there'll be something like that going on. But, you know, I believe that Noah, he knew that when Methuselah, his grandfather, died that that, the, uh, that uh, nothing stood in the way of the judgment of God. I believe that God had already revealed that to Noah, that the judgment was coming. He, uh, Noah, I believe, had an idea that what God was about to do, uh, because he was out there for 120 years out there building that boat. And, uh, and uh, I, I think that Noah knew in advance that the judgment of God was at hand. And... Uh, so for, for over a century now, he'd been warning the people about this, the coming, the coming judgment of God. And um, some people believed him. At least uh, seven other people did. His wife, his three sons, and their wives, eight of them. And the rest of them were un, in unbelief. You know, the Bible still says that broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that go therein. And narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few that find it. And that's still the ratio that we're faced with today. You and I are a minority, we're a minority group. And, uh, and I think that we're becoming more and more a minority group, too. And uh, well, anyway, uh, Methuselah died. And when he died, things began to happen. Remember, we mentioned last year that the Bible tells us that in the year that the flood came, Methuselah died. In other words, God took him out of the way of his judgment because Methuselah was a godly man. The things began to happen when he died. One day, Noah and his family, they entered the ark. The rain began. And I'm sure that uh, some of the people said, this can't last forever. It's going to stop pretty soon. But it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the subterranean began to explode and and discharge more water on the earth. And uh, even after the rain stopped, the water continued to rise because uh, the subterranean water began to explode uh, as well as the rain that was coming down from heaven. And um, within five months, the whole earth was underwater. And everything that breathed was dead except Noah and his family and the animals that were on the ark. Uh, it took uh, five months. 
Now, Noah and his family and those animals were on the ark much longer than that. In fact, at the end of your handout, there is a, there is a chart that I had printed as a part of your handout. Uh, this, came, this comes from uh, Genesis, Answers in Genesis that was developed by Bodie Hodge, who was a part of that organization. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to read it. I, I've just got this. I just gave you this for your, your information, for your edification. I hope it would be helpful to you to realize the course of events that took place during, during that time when they were on the ark. You know, actually, <clears throat> they were on the ark for 370 days. Now, I've also, in, in the course of my study in preparation for this lesson today, I found out that uh, there is some, there can be some discrepancy about how long they were actually on the ark, depending on whether you're, you're calculating uh, solar days or, uh, what's the other one, lunar days. Yeah, mon, um, the, the moon and the sun. Lunar days and solar days are calculated differently. I didn't know that. But they are. But it's about the same period of time, however you, however you figure it. It's somewhere around 370 days that they were on that ark. That's a good long time. It's over a year. A year and 10 days, actually. Some people say there was a year and 15 days, but whatever. So Roman numeral one in your outline. Noah was a believing man who walked with God. And uh, I'm not going to take the time to read all of these verses. I've read the introductory verse and one of the verses that's the most important here, and they're all important. But the one that's most important here as far as our study is concerned, is concerned this morning is verse 9 where it says, Noah was a just man, a perfect in all of his generations, and Noah walked with God. And then uh, Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, by the way, um, that's not the actually order. That's not the actual order in which they were born, and we'll talk about that here in just a few moments. But anyway, the earth was corrupt. It says in verse 11, it was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, "The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence." Uh, through them, <clears throat> through them, that is, through men. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And uh, so, so God gave instructions to Noah to make the ark, make it out of gopher wood rooms and, and uh, pitch it within, without, and so forth. And so <clears throat> Noah was a believing man who walked with God. Notice, if you will, in verse 6, it says, these are the generations of Noah. This is the third series of generations that we see here in the Bible. And it's interesting as we go through the book of Genesis that there are more generations that, that's listed. But the, 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 uh, the two others that we noticed, the first one is found in, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. It says it's the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says these are the generations of Adam. And so this is... Uh, uh, this is a major chapter in the story of redemption. The letter A under that is, he was a righteous man. Not only here in verse 9 
Do we read that? But over in chapter 7, in the first verse in chapter 7, is the Lord has said unto Noah, Come, and all thy house into the ark, uh, for, thee have I, for thee have I seen righteousness before me in this generation. And so Noah had a wonderful testimony. God was pleased with him and pleased with his life and so on. So he was, uh, he was a, a righteous man. The word righteous appears for the first time in the Bible here in this verse, in, in verse uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, and Noah's righteousness was also mentioned in other places in the Bible. And there is a series of verses I could give you, Ezekiel 14, 14, and also 14, 20. Hebrews 11, 7, 2 Peter 2, 5. These all testify to the righteousness of Noah and his good life, the way he lived for God. And Noah's righteousness didn't come from his good works. It wasn't because Noah built the ark that he was righteous. It wasn't that he, wasn't that he walked with God that he, that he was righteous. He walked with God because he was righteous, you see. That always comes first. Uh, you and I don't have any righteousness in us. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But we are made righteous in Christ, aren't we? And it's his righteousness that you and I have, not ours. Uh, if we depended on our righteousness to get us to heaven, we'd all be in hell. That's where we all deserve to be anyway. But it's because of the righteousness of Christ that we, with which we have been clothed that we're in heaven today. And that's the way it was with Noah. It wasn't because he did good works, it was because he trusted God by faith. The only righteousness that God will accept is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 2. Letter B, he was a blameless man in verse 9. That word blameless comes from the word found in the King James, the word perfect there in uh, chapter 6 and verse 9. If righteous, well, number one under B, he was, a, he, was a, he was a blameless man. And then number one, his conduct before men was blameless. His conduct before men was blameless. And if righteousness describes Noah standing before God, his blamelessness describes his conduct before people. And uh, we have a righteous standing before God, but the only way... The only way I can, as a human being, determine whether or not you have any righteousness is, is to observe your, your fruits. By their fruits you shall know them, the scripture says. And the only way I can tell that you love God is the way you walk, the way you, the way you act, the things you say. And so your conduct tells me what you are. But what we are inwardly tells God what your standing is before him. So... Um, and by the way, that word perfect there doesn't mean sinless or sinless perfection. Because nobody ever lives a sinless life on earth except Jesus Christ. The word has this idea, having integrity, or to be whole, or to be unblemished. In, in my Bible, I've got a, I've got a, a marginal note in my Bible, uh, that word that, that says uh, upright. And I think that too describes what what this word perfect means. He walked upright. 
That doesn't mean he, he stood up straight on, on both legs. It just simply means that his life was straight before God. And that's where we ought to be. So his conduct before men was blameless. And then number two, his walk with God was blameless. And we see that also here in verse 9. It's an interesting thing about Noah. You know, Noah didn't just out of the blue sky be a good man. He had some influence in his life. For example, his great-grandfather Enoch. Enoch was his great-grandfather. And, and as I said last week, we, we talked about this because Enoch walked with God. And so here's the pattern that was set for this generation. Enoch, his great-grandfather, walked with God. And, uh, and, so, and then he was suddenly taken to heaven. But then Enoch had influence on his son, Methuselah, who walked with God. And so there's Enoch, Methuselah, he passed it along to his son, Lamech, and Lamech was Noah's father. And so here we have a line of righteous men, line of men who are walking upright, walking with God. Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and now Noah, walking with the Lord. You know what that tells me? That tells me it's so important for us to walk with God so that our posterity, our kids, our grandkids, and now my wife and I, our great-grandchildren, they can see Christ in us and walk after the Lord. What, a, what an important example, what an important thing it is for us to walk with God. Remember our study of Cain? Remember what his son did? Cain was a murderer. But do you know his son, I think his son's name was Lamech too, as I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go back and check that, recheck that. But, but uh, Cain's son, what'd he do? He was a murderer, followed the example of his father. And you know, your, your grandchildren, you've already raised your children, but you've got some grandchildren and some great-grandchildren coming along. They're going to look at your life. They're going to say, you know, granddaddy loved God. He walked with the Lord, and I want to I walk with the Lord like he did. And that's where we ought to be in our, in our lives. So the life of faith is compared to a walk. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because it begins with one step. And that first step that we have to take as we walk with God is a step of faith unto salvation. Trusting God unto salvation. But you know, it's kind of interesting that the Bible, especially in the New Testament, uh, in this walk, there are certain things the Bible says about this walk, and this would be an interesting study. It would be an interesting uh, sermon. I, I haven't preached a sermon with this outline. I've preached on each of these texts, but, but, I, but his, this would be a good sermon outline sometime. First of all, we're commanded to walk in love in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. And then in Ephesians 5 and verse 8, it says we're to walk as children of light, and then we come to Galatians chapter 5, and verse 16. It says we're to walk in the Spirit. And then uh, finally, um, in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 15, it says we're to walk circumspectly, walk carefully. And so <clears throat> this life that you and I are living as Christians is a walk. Uh, we've been talking today from the pulpit about the walk of life. And... Uh, and indeed, you know, you and I are 
We are in a walk of life. And God tells us that we're to walk. And so one step at a time, a day at a time, a walk with the Lord, that's what life is all about. And then number three, um, number one was uh, conduct before God was blameless. His walk with God was blameless. And then thirdly, his obedience to God was blameless. And we find this in chapter 6 and verse 22. Look at uh, verse 22 of this chapter. And thus did, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, and so did he. He was obedient to God. And in chapter 7 and verse 5 and verse 16 say something similar to that. But his obedience to God was blameless. Because Noah was obedient to the Lord, his house was not destroyed when the storm came. And uh, it was not easy for Noah and his family to obey the Lord because the rest of the population was disobeying God and rebellion, rebelling against God. You know, you're very fortunate. I'm very fortunate. Uh, we have each other to fellowship with. We have each other that we can influence one another with our, with our lives of obedience and servants, uh, as servants of the Lord. And I thank God for those of you who uh, who, that, I have to, that I have privilege of rubbing shoulders with. And, and your lives mean so much to me when I see Christ magnified in your life because it encourages me. I'll be honest with you, there are times in my life when, uh, when I maybe drift a little bit. But when I come to church and get among God's people, it brings me back in line. It really does. It brings me back in line. And that's the reason why you folks at home watching by live stream, as soon as you can, you need to get back in the assembly. That's the reason why God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as a matter of some is. When we assemble together, we have an impact on each other. We have an influence upon each other that, that we normally wouldn't have when we get separated from each other. But think of Noah. He was out there all alone. All he had was his wife and his three sons and their wives. Now, that was, uh, that was seven other people, and that would be a help, of course. But the truth is, he, he didn't have a congregation like this where he could get together with godly people and a pastor that stands and preaches. He didn't have that. But he still walked with God. In other words, his walk with God wasn't dependent upon other people. It was dependent upon who he was and what he was with God. And frankly, that's where we ought to be in our Christian life, that our, our walk with God should be dependent upon who we are and not dependent upon who you are or somebody else is. It makes a difference, doesn't it? All right. So anyway, he was obedient. Uh, his obedience to God was blameless. That brings us to Roman numeral 2. Noah was a faithful man who worked for God. And uh, we could look at all these verses, uh, verses 14 through 22. Uh, we're not going to look at all those verses, but, <clears throat> but we, we'll just look at a couple of them here. Beginning at verse uh, 14, it says this. Uh, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the, in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which uh, thou shalt make it thereof. And so 
God gives him the instructions on making that ark and, and how big it's to be and so forth. So God's plan involved three responsibilities for Noah here in this passage of Scripture. And the first one of this, the first one of those, letter A, is to build the ark. God said, I want you to build a boat. I don't doubt that Noah scratched his head there for a little while and said, God, are you sure? <laughs> you want to build a boat? Noah didn't even know what a boat was. He didn't know what an ark was. I don't think he knew. Uh, he'd never seen one anyway. And God says, well, Noah, since you haven't seen one, I'll, I'll tell you about it. I'll show you how to make it, okay? I'll give you the plans. And that's what he does here in these verses. He gives him the plans for it. It's kind of interesting. So letter A is he built an ark. Uh, Noah's God-given task was to build a wooden vessel that would survive the water and the flood. You know what? He wasn't building a, a boat for navigation. He was building something that would float. It didn't even have an engine on it. It didn't have a, I don't, it didn't even have a rudder as far as we know. Probably had some kind of a keel, you know. Uh, but didn't have an engine, no paddles. He didn't have any paddles. Just build this, build this thing and so it's, it's going to have to float. And so that's what he did. And so <clears throat> a cubit, as far as we can tell, was about 18 inches. And so um, God gives him the measurements here. He says in verse 15, and the fashion of it should be like this. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Uh, the width of it, the breadth of it, uh, 50 cubits. And then the height of it is to be 30 cubits. So he gives him the dimensions. So a cubit is about 18 inches, uh, we think. So that would have made the boat about 450 feet long. That's about the size of one and a half football fields. Now, some of you guys are in the Navy. You've been on boats that are bigger than that. But that's a pretty good-sized boat. And by the way, let me just stop here and say this. If you have an opportunity to go to, is it in Kentucky? Yeah. If you have an opportunity to go to the ark, you got to go. Jan and I have been there. We spent two days there. It was that interesting and uh, intriguing. And so if you have an opportunity, I know Bob tried to plan a trip there uh, a few months ago, I think, but if you revive that trip, Bob, I really hope you can get some people to go. Uh, it's well worth the time, it's well worth your money to go see that ark. And uh, uh, you, you won't regret putting out the money for that. And also the Creation Museum, which is about 45 minutes away from where the ark is located. But if you can go to those events, it'll be well worth it. And I, 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 want, I want to encourage you to go. Uh, Jan and I went, and, and we were just intrigued by it. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, built by Ken Ham, uh, built that. You've been there, haven't you? You haven't been? Okay. Here's your first passengers, Bob, right here. Sign them up. I've got 13 on the list so far, but I, I told you we had to have more than that. Oh, okay. Is that, in other words, that trip's still on then? Well, we've been once, but then, yeah, this one's 
Oh, okay. All right. Good. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> and uh, for you old people, we got a couple of old people in this class, you know. They have elevators. And uh, so, so whatever, you know, take your walkers and your canes and you'll enjoy it. And they have places where you can sit down from time to time, you know. Yeah, you can ride a camel. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the boat here. All right. 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It had three decks. Um, one door, only one door, and had a series of small windows about 18 inches high around the edge of the roof that were open for ventilation and, uh, and for light to come in. But it was under the roof, so the rain wouldn't come in, you know. And so God was good at this. It was, and, um, it was a huge wooden box that could float on the water and keep everything safe and dry. Dr. Henry Morris made this statement about it. He calculated that the ark was large enough to hold the contents of over 500 livestock railroad cars. That's a pretty good thing, pretty big size thing, isn't it? Uh, providing space for about 125,000 animals. And of course, many of those animals would be small, so they didn't need a lot of space. And when it came to large animals, Noah probably collected the younger and the smaller representatives of those larger species like elephants and and giraffes and so forth. Now there was plenty of room in the vessel for food. Look at verse 21 of, uh, of uh, chapter 6. It says, And take thou unto thee all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them, for the humans and for the, for the animals. Uh, can you imagine the, the quantity of food that was needed to feed all of those animals? plus Noah and his wife and his three sons. If they were anything like Jeff, our son, <clears throat> Jeff ate 24-7, all the time was eating. And he still, he still does, never gained a pound. And I kept asking him, you know, we kept shelling out the money for food to, so he could eat. I kept asking, where are you putting all that food? You know? <laughs> anyway, uh, took a lot of food for over a year. They were on that boat. And so it took an awful, awful lot of food for them. Um, and then letter B, he trusted God's covenant in verse 18. It says, uh, in verse 18, it says, But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. God made a covenant with, uh, with Noah. And actually, he discussed this covenant in greater detail that we'll cover, I think it's next Sunday, Brother Gene, we'll talk about this covenant, I think, uh, in chapters 8 and, and chapter, chapters 8 and 9 is uh, more of an expansion of the covenant that God made with these people. But the covenant basically was that God promised Noah that he would protect them. And God kept his promise and uh, so on. Noah didn't become a father until he was 500 years old. We learned that back in chapter 5 and verse 32. 
And he entered the ark when he was 600 years old. Chapter 7 and verse 6 tells us that. So his three sons were still kind of young as far as pre-flood ages were concerned. Ham was the oldest son. As I mentioned back on that verse that I read a little while ago that, that enumerated his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Japheth was actually the oldest son. And um, Ham was the younger one. In chapter, 22, chapter 9 and verse 22 it says, And Ham his younger son, verses 22 and 24. Ham was the younger son, but he's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He's listed in the second position in the order of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth was the older. Chapter 10, verse 21 says Japheth, the older. But all three of these sons were married, and uh, they had wives, and so they, they entered the ark as well. Letter C. He gathered the animals. Verses 19 through 22. He gathered the animals together. See, God wanted to preserve um, a representation of the human race. And he picked Noah because Noah was a righteous man. The only righteous man on the face of the earth at this time, by the way. Along with his wife and his three sons. But he also wanted to preserve every kind of creature uh, that would, would perish in the flood. You notice there's no fish on the boat. Uh, when you go see the ark, you won't, you won't find a fish tank on the boat. They didn't need it. You know, they, they could swim around the water. So God didn't destroy the fish, but he, he destroyed the land animals and destroyed all the human race except those eight people. And uh, anyway, um, Noah was able to gather such a large number of animals, birds and creeping things, uh, you, you, can, you can imagine in your mind Noah going out in the woods and say, hey, uh, Mr. Elephant, bring your wife and let's go. You know. That didn't happen. Why? Because God said, Mr. Elephant, bring your wife. I've got a job for you. Mr. Giraffe, bring your wife. You know. Mr. Snake, bring your wife. And get on this boat. Uh, I've got a job for you. And so the Bible tells us that they came to Noah, which means that God's created beings obey him. And that is the, the non-human created beings obey him. Sometimes he has a problem with his human beings, doesn't he, obeying him. So anyway, um, God caused, caused these creatures to come to him. Look at verse 20 uh, tells us that. It says, of the fowl after their kind, of the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And so he gathered them on the boat. Um, for 120 years, God had been long-suffering toward uh, careless and rebellious sinners. And they ignored his message. They ignored the opportunity of salvation. It's a sad thing, isn't it, when people you love and really deeply care for, you witness to them, you give them gospel tracts, you try to live a life of godliness before them, and they just keep rejecting the gospel, keep rejecting, keep rejecting, keep rejecting. And... Uh, 
That's what happened in Noah's day. Well, that brings us to Roman numeral three, the last point. Noah was a secure man who waited on God. And we find this in chapter seven, in verse, uh, the whole chapter, chapters one, verses one through 24. David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm 32 and verse nine, he said, be not like horses, nor as the mule. Uh, obeya, uh, Noah obeyed that counsel. You know, horses sometimes want to rush ahead impulsively, and mules want to stubbornly drag along behind, but Noah walked with God, and he worked for God, and, uh, and he let God arrange the schedule of his life. He was willing to do that. And so that brings us to letter A under Roman numeral three. There was a week of waiting. In verses one through 10, we kind of glean this. There was a week of waiting. After God uh, told him to get on the ark, and actually after it started raining, it was 10 days before Noah actually got on the ark. In verse, uh, verse 1, it says, And God said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house unto the ark. Uh, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take thee, uh, take thee by sevens, male and a female, and the beasts that are not clean by twos, the male and his female. Of the fowls also of the air by sevens, male and female, and keep seed alive. Uh, to keep seed alive on all the earth. Uh, for yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. I was mistaken. It was, uh, it was seven days before it started raining when all, he started gathering all the creatures on the ark and so forth. And so Noah was 600 years old when the floods of the water came upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark uh, because, the waters of the, because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts and of beasts that are, uh, that are not clean, of the fowls, of everything that creepeth upon the earth. And there went in two and two unto, uh, upon the ark, uh, unto Noah into the ark, male and female, and God commanded Noah, as God commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. And so he, there was a whole week that uh, after God commanded them all to get together, that it began to rain. So the rain started on the 17th, on the 17th day of the second month. That's verse 11. And then, uh, and then eight days earlier, on the tenth day of the second month, I was wrong. I was wrong again. It, I, I was right the first time, okay? Uh, I'm a little confused here. But I live in confusion most of the time anyway. <laughs> the rain started on the seventeenth day of the second month, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. And eight days earlier, on the tenth day of the second month, Noah and his family moved into the ark, according to verse 10. We, uh, we see that. But during the final week before the flood, 
they finished gathering the animals and put in their supplies and, and they followed the Lord's instructions. They trusted his covenant of promise to take care of them, so forth. And then at the end of that week of preparation, Noah and his family obeyed God's command. They entered the ark and God shut the door and they were safe. God closed the door. They didn't, they didn't have to close the door. The animals came to him. Noah didn't have to do anything but build the ark. That was a monumental task, wasn't it? But he got the animals. The animals came to him. They put them in the ark and then God closed the door. God closed the door as a, as a sign of safety. Safety for these, you know. There's a lot of things going on on the outside, Noah. But you and your wife and your family and everybody that's in here with you, you're all safe. God had promised them that. So one year and ten days later, God opened the door. And he invited them to come out. And uh, and so they did. And that's found in in chapter 8 and verse 16, which we'll get to next week. Letter B. There was a day of reckoning. The flood was God's judgment on a wicked world. God opened the floodgates of heaven so that the torrential rains came down and all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, verse 11, so that even the highest mountains were covered with water, verse 20, we read there. God had, uh, God had waited for over, for over a century for sinners to repent and now it was too late. You know, Isaiah wrote in the 55th chapter of his book, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Well, it was too late for these people. It's too late. And if there's anybody watching by live stream today or anybody sitting in this classroom today, if you haven't called on the Lord yet, one day it's going to be too late. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call upon his name while there's hope. And this is the day of hope. And I, I know I'm preaching to, the, to, preaching to the choir here, so to speak, as, as uh, Dr. Yoho mentioned this morning. He was probably preaching to the choir. We use that cliche, but it means we're preaching to people who don't necessarily need what we're preaching. But the truth is that the choir needs preaching sometimes. And so if there's anybody here, if you haven't been saved, you better get saved. Because there is a day of reckoning coming, you see. The rain stopped after 40 days. And uh, however, the water continued to rise for another 110 days. And it reached its peak after 150 days on verse 24. In verse 24, we read that. And then at that time, the ark rested on the mountain peak of Ararat. In chapter 8 and verse 4, uh, we read that. Chapter 8 and 4 says, And the ark rested on the seventh, in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ar- Ararat. You know, there have been several expeditions to the, the Ararat uh, mountain range. And there have been some... There have been some expeditions that said they have found the ark. But there really isn't any evidence of that that I know of. Dr. Yoho, do you know of any real evidence where the ark has actually been found? There was a book written 
some evidence, but there were problems like the region was so formidable climate-wise, it's sometimes hard to make expeditions. There's some indication of an earthquake where maybe part of the arc fell about 3,000 feet on Ararat. And then there were problems with the Russian and Turkish government sometimes in allowing people in. My impression is there is some interesting evidence, but we need to study it more. Huh. I'm having a difficult time said, hearing my, my impression is that there is some encouraging evidence that the ark has been found in okay. some of the aerial sites, but uh, more study does need to be done. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have read some uh, some archaeological ex, ex, uh, expeditions that, you know, they, they claim they have found some remnants of the ark, and and maybe they have. I don't know, but you know, I think it's kind. Of, I think that probably is kind of like when when God took Moses. You know, uh, nobody knows where Moses is buried. Otherwise, we would make a shrine out of it. And we'd be worshiping that shrine instead of God. And uh, probably the same thing is true with the ark. You know, <clears throat> we we think that uh, we think that the earth is somewhere in the neighborhood of six to seven, maybe eight thousand years old. It's not billions of years like the the evolutionists tell you it is. But uh, biblically speaking, it's probably somewhere around seven, eight thousand years old. Well, you know, after eight, seven or eight thousand years, you know, there's not going to be much left. You wouldn't think. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, it it uh, it uh, landed in the in the region of Ararat, verse four, and it took about a hundred and fifty days for the water to actually recede, according to chapter eight and verse three, um, which takes us to the twelfth month, the seventeenth day. And then two months and ten days later, Noah and his family um, and the animals came out of the ark. That's chapter 8, verse 14. And so from the day that God shut them in, uh, they had been in the ark probably a year and ten days, about a year and ten days. And that's what that timeline is all about uh, on the back of your, your handout. And you can take your time. So just to just to uh, just to summarize, it rained for forty days, Genesis seven verses twelve and seventeen, and after the rain, the water rose for another hundred and ten days, and then the water receded for hundred and fifty days, and then there was an additional time before they left the ark of seventy days, which all adds up to three hundred and seventy days that they were in the ark, probably. Now, somewhere in that neighborhood. We can't, be, we can't be real dogmatic about the exact number of days, but that's close, okay? And that brings us to number three, a letter, three, letter C, rather. It was a universal judgment. There was a universal judgment. I've got three minutes to cover this, so hang on. Um, there are some today in modern science. By the way, science is not an exact art. Science changes. You hear a lot today about follow the science, follow the science. 
Well, Dr. Fauci's science has changed over and over and over again, you know. Uh, shut up, Coles. You didn't have to say that. Yes, I did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> some scientists today hold to a limited flood rather than a universal flood or a local flood. In other words, the flood was locally located and it wasn't universal, it didn't cover the whole earth. Well, we believe the Bible teaches it was universal. And I think we have, uh, I think we stand on solid ground on that. Uh, they say that, uh, that the Bible uses the language of appearance. It appeared that the flood was a worldwide flood. Well, we believe it was actually that the Bible's actual, not appearance. And uh, in other words, um, clear language of the text states that God w brought a universal judgment. He said he would destroy human and beasts from, and here's the words of the scripture, from the face of the earth, chapter 6 and verse 7, and it, that every living creature would be destroyed. And if the, if the mountains were covered to such a height that the ark could float over the Ararat range, and eventually settled down on a peak, then the entire planet must have been completely immersed underwater. You can read verses 18 and 20 of chapter 7 and get that idea. And then uh, the flood was, if the flood was not universal, then we have to ask ourselves, why did God give a rainbow as a universal sign of, of his covenant? Well, you can read about that in chapter 9, and we'll cover that later. Uh, why would people in a local area need such a sign, a universal sign? And furthermore, if the flood was a local event, why did God tell Noah to build but such a big vessel for saving his family and all the animals? Noah could have could have completely ignored. Uh, could have could have uh, could, he he certainly had enough time to gather the, all of his family together. You know, after 120 years. He could have gathered all of his family together and moved to an area where the flood wasn't going to happen if it was a local flood rather than a universal flood. And then God promised that he would never send another flood like this one. That promise is given in verses 8 through 17. But if the flood was only a local event, God didn't keep his promise, did he? Uh, we've had some pretty serious floods, even in our lifetime. And uh, over the centuries, there have been numerous local floods where numerous people have died in the floods. And uh, so if, uh, if God, if the flood was local, God didn't, God didn't keep his word because we've had some other local floods that have, uh, that have been pretty devastating. So we believe that the Bible teaches that that this was a universal judgment of God. And so the plain teaching of the text convinces us that the flood is a universal judgment. All flesh had corrupted God's way upon the, upon the earth. We don't know during those periods of time leading up to the flood. The world was, the, the, there was a great population of people before the flood. And if there had not been a flood, um, you may, have, you may have a neighbor parked in your backyard right now. 
but there was a flood. And, um, and there was a great number of people. And we don't know how far they had expanded out across the earth at that time. So it was more than a local flood. And then there's some other evidence that we can give in the Bible as well. But finally, uh, and quickly, letter D, there was a patient family. Patiently, they waited for God to complete his work and to put them back on the earth. And, and God honored their patience. I want to read finally, and this is in your notes, but let me just read it for you. Uh, in conclusion, this, um, Alexander McLaren said this. He said, for 120 years, the wits laughed. And the common sense people wondered. And the patient saints went on hammering and pitching at the ark. But one morning it began to rain. And by decrees somehow, Noah didn't seem quite such a fool. The jest would look rather, look rather different when the water was up to their knees uh, needs of their jesters, of the jesters, and their sarcasm would stick stick in their throats as they drowned. And so, so it is always. So it will be at the last day. The men who live, <clears throat> the men who live for the future by faith in Christ, will be found out to have been the wise men uh, when the future has become the present and the present has become the past. And is gone forever. While they had no aim beyond the things of time. Which are now sunk between the dreary horizon. Will wake too late to the conviction that they were outside the ark of safety. And that their truest epitaph is thou fool. Our Father we thank you again for your word. We're thankful for the truth of it. And Father, we, we just thank you for your love, your sustaining love and your mercy and your grace to those who love you and serve you as you expressed toward Noah and his wife and their family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life.